p.m. It's the Shop Stewards Corner here on Metro FM Talk. We continue with our discussions and, uh, yeah, uh, in collaboration with our friends out at uh, the Socioeconomic Rights Institute and ISWI, Domestic Workers Alliance. It's our series of discussions on, uh, yeah, the working life and uh, issues related to industrial relations, uh, certainly for those whose place of work is our private homes and those are domestic workers. And as uh, we've said over the last few weeks or so, as in uh, with uh, the over a million people who work as uh, domestic workers, and even that might be an undercount uh, if uh, we are taking into account uh, the comment that was made by one of our listeners uh, in our voice notes there, uh, which was around, I guess, the, the role of uh, migrant domestic workers as well, which indeed is a reality uh, in our society. And uh, I think the point that we might want to reinforce here is that there isn't a separate set of rights that are due to domestic workers uh, by virtue of where people were born. If you are working, say you are from, you know, Mafeteng out in Lesotho, you are working in Bloemfontein as a domestic worker, the rights that are due to you uh, as a South African domestic worker are the same as those rights that are due to that lady who was born in Mafeteng or who might have a different uh, identity document to you. Um, and, and I think that's, this is a, a, you know, a, a sentiment that we need to underscore, not just in this sector, but across our entire economy as well. So this evening, I have the fortune of uh, yeah, talking about how uh, you as an employer of a domestic worker uh, can make sure that you're on the right side of the law, but also uh, contribute to this ongoing struggle of giving dignity to many of those who work in our homes. Um, and uh, effectively allowing them to claim the rights that are due to them, chief among those being social protective rights like uh, COIDA and the UIF. And last week we touched on COIDA uh, and, of course, the registrations on that score, and uh, we uh, caught up uh, with the folk at the Compensation Fund. Well, we move on this week, and uh, we take a look at a, uh, a resource guide here for employers uh, and uh, yeah, aimed at really addressing this issue of non-compliance, uh, but also trying to educate all of us around uh, what ideally we should be responsible to do. And I'm joined by Amy Teki, who's the co-founder of Izwi Domestic Workers Alliance, also co-author of this resource guide. And Kilebukhile Khuno, a researcher at SERI, also a co-author of this uh, uh, guide titled Employing Domestic Workers. Amy and Kile, good evening to the pair of you and welcome. Thank you so much, Aya, for hanging us. Let me maybe start off, uh, Kili, with you. Uh, just briefly, talk us through, I guess, you know, uh, what you guys were responding to, you and Amy, in, in uh, working on this guide alongside some of your colleagues. Uh, what, in your observation, I guess, necessitated this particular intervention of creating a guide that solely speaks, you know, to you and me as employers of domestic workers? So, I, I think it's is becoming more and more recognized that domestic workers play a very important role in our society. So they are an essential part of how many of our families operate and they're an essential part to our economy because they enable people to go out and carry out um, their own jobs. Um, however, they lack recognition as real workers or even as employees and therefore they work under unfair working conditions. Um, and this two problems or uh, two reasons for this problem. The first is non-compliance from employers and the other is a lack of enforcement from um, our government institutions that are responsible for this field. Um, when it comes to employer non-compliance, it's quite widespread. So um, there's a report by an organization called WeGo um, that uh, co-wrote 
this report with the Social Law Project at the University of Western Cape, and they estimate that only 20% of domestic workers are registered for UIS by their employers. So this, this problem of non-compliance in this field is quite widespread. However, I must say, while we were drafting this guide, we, we really came to appreciate that actually you know, understanding the labor regulations in this field, um, understanding the laws um, that apply to this field, how they're translated into action, is not something that's actually simple. When you look at how organizations or companies work, um, you, know, you have an entire HR department dedicated to making sure that the employees' rights are protected while protecting the employer's rights as well. Um, and in the case of domestic workers, of course, it's a much smaller, more manageable context, mm. but it's, it's, a, it's a huge job. And so we put together this guide so that employers of domestic workers have a user-friendly um, resource that will inform them of their rights and obligations in this employment relationship, but also to offer them you know, practical advice and support um, so that they're able to improve their employment practices. Mm, mm. Amy, let me bring you in here. I mean, I think one of the things Gil is raising is around the difficulties of enforcement, especially, you know, this issue of access to people's private homes, which happen in this case to be the workplaces uh, of many of uh, the workers that we're speaking about. Uh, so let's touch on that. But I think the second issue is really, you know, how best do we as uh, you know, current or even potential employers of domestic workers make best use of this resource. Yeah, so a lot of... Uh, and maybe just, Amy, as a follow-up on that, uh, I mean, mm. in your experience organizing ISWI Domestic Workers Alliance, um, mm-hmm. just your experiences of employers, I mean, you know, how they have often reacted to information, is it a matter that a lot of us might not know our obligations to you know, our domestic workers, or is it a matter of just, I guess, trying to navigate the space of weak enforcement um, and, I guess, you know, non-compliance in general and, uh, you know, how unrisky that is? Yeah, I think there's a range. I mean, there are definitely, on the one end, there's employers who are going to exploit until they're taken to the law and held accountable because they can and because they feel like it's in their best interest and they want to get the most out of it. Um, And so they're going to ignore the law as long as, Nobody's holding them accountable. But there are a lot of employers that we contact who really are just, you know, obviously they want to be on the good side of the law and, and often they want to be good people and they want to, um, you know, be on the good side of morality <laughs> as well. And so um, so it really, there's really a range. And I think the law is important for both um, kind of coming down and making sure that people don't take advantage of other people but also for setting a foundation for people who do want to um, to employ in a way that uplifts each other can have, have a base have a base to work from. So we, we find a lot of employers that are very appreciative and mm. open and ask for more information. Sure. Um, I mean, I know even as when I first, I'm not South African, when I came here and first employed someone, it was years before we had a contract because I just didn't really know and I didn't think about it and I didn't take the time to Google around about the Labor Relations oh. Act, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it's a learning experience for all of us and we, sure. we really want to make it easy, as easy as possible um, because it benefits both the employer and, and the yeah. worker. Okay. Guys, I want us to pause here for a second and take a quick spot break. But when we come back, uh, Kili, I want us to maybe just talk briefly about some of the practical things. Um, so, for instance, what are some of the terms that are up for negotiation 
uh, in a contract process between um, yourself as an employer and uh, domestic workers and also how uh, is that relationship managed over time and how can we make sure that, uh, yeah, when, um, I guess, God forbid, a push comes to shove and the relationship has to come to an end, how do we manage that as well? And uh, we'll return to those themes after this brief break. 24 minutes it is after 8 p.m. It's the Shop Stewart's Corner here on Metro FM Talk. And uh, we're in conversation with uh, the co-founder of Isuit Domestic Workers Alliance and the co-author of Employing Domestic Workers, a resource guide for employers of domestic workers, Amy Teki, and uh, also joined by uh, co-author of the same uh, resource guide and researcher at SERI, the Socioeconomic Rights Institute, Kili Bukhile Kuno. And uh, Kili, maybe just if we take a step back, because I guess the starting point of the employment relationship, and I want us to see it as that, uh, because I guess one of the pitfalls here is seeing uh, domestic workers as people that are just helping out um, without really seeing this as an explicit employer-employee relationship. And the starting mm-hmm. point of that, of course, is to negotiate the terms of this, this employment relationship. How do we go about doing that? Because before we get into, you know, complicated, yeah, who signs where, um, I guess mm. there, there should be a lot of these preceding clauses. Uh, that determine mm-hmm. the terms of this particular relationship. How do we how do we take that on? Yeah, so definitely. I think um, even before we get to the terms of um, employment for domestic workers, it's very important to realize that domestic work is rooted in a very complex history. It's re- it's re- um, rooted in colonialism. It's rooted in other forms of servitude. Mm. Um, and currently, as it stands, it is still an institution that perpetuates hierarchies based on race, gender. Um, class and more and more nationality. So the position of the employer um, with respect to the employee is, is not equal. So there's a power imbalance here. And I think that it's important for employers to recognize that. Um, and so when you're beginning this relationship, I think that yeah, employers really do need to recognize that they have a lot of power at the beginning um, of this relationship and, and that they can actually set the right tone if they do the right things at the start. And so you know, like other um, places of employment, something that's very important is to have an employment interview to see whether, you know, what you require as an employer um, is, is met by this prospective employee. Um, so asking questions about, you know, their skills, getting references from their previous employers are really things that are very important to do. Um, I know that a lot of people really, uh, you, know, it's, you know, you ask your friends um, to recommend someone from for you to work for you. Um, however, that's actually not, it doesn't set the right tone for a, like a relationship that's going to be based on, um, you know, professionalism and, um, you know, there's expectations on both sides. So once you've, you know, had this interview, you can decide to have a probationary period, which really helps to facilitate this communication between an employer and an employee. During this period, the employer would be required to um, you know, tr- provide some training or some guidance to the employee. The employee asks questions about what are these you know, standards of work that this particular employer requires. Once you found your, 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 your ideal employee, um, you, know, you need to recognize that this is a relationship that is um, regulated by the law. There are a host of labor laws that regulate this relationship, including the Basic Conditions of Employment Act, the Labor Relations Act, a lot of the laws which, you know, other workers are, are covered by. And it's very important to go through every single part of 
what the law says about this relationship. So, you know, when you look at, when you talk about the terms of, of, of employment, it's things like, you know, wages, overtime pay, work on public holidays, Sunday work, what it means to be, for a domestic worker to be on standby, what night work looks like. These are things that are regulated by the law. Um, employers can't, you know, come up with their own sort of um, understanding of what would be fair in those situations. And so when, yeah, when we're talking about this, this, the beginning part, it's, it's, it's a very important um, aspect of this relationship that hopefully will be mutually beneficial. Um, and I would emphasize putting in a lot of effort at the beginning to have a lasting relationship that is based on mutual respect um, and is mutually beneficial for both parties. Mm, mm. And I like the point that you're raising there because often the... These are things that people just gloss over, prefer not to look at. uh, And there's a certain power asymmetry, if I can put it, like imbalance in power dynamics, uh, largely because, as you say, of the roots of domestic work, um, where, you know, people would rather say, well, look, we'll decide on the terms as we go along. Uh, And effectively, one would think there are also non-negotiables in terms of any employment relationship that should be conformed to here. What would some of those be, Amy? I mean, uh, just as people think about how they negotiate these terms, uh, I mean, just be it on leave, be it on just time away and rest time and all of those things, which sometimes might be a bit difficult if, you know, somebody's workplace and even, you know, the, the place where they sleep happens to be your home. That's a very tricky thing. And we found that living domestic workers really um, struggle with with accessing their, their labor rights because they're in somebody else's home, which means they already are, the power dynamics are increased. They're already subject to um, this idea that, well, you're living on my property and therefore I have to say in the same way I might have a say over my children, which is obviously not the case. And a lot of employers feel like, well, if you're living on my property, I can pay you a lot less because you're not doing transport, although the law actually says that you can only deduct up to 10% of the person's wages for accommodation. So you can't say, well, minimum wage is 3.5, but I'm going to pay you 2.5 because you're living here. Um, and we see that often. Um, and, and the same thing, working hours apply. There are rest periods that apply over time. You know, and there's a limit even to how much you have to be paid. Anything over 45 hours, you have to be paid overtime. Mm. And there's even a limit to how much overtime you can, you can legally work. And often these rules are just completely out the window. Um, especially in living in, in, in living relationships where workers are staying till eight or nine, sometimes ten p.m. until the kids go to bed and they can clean up the kitchen, and then they're waking the kids up at six in the morning. Um, and I think a really important thing to think about is how most people, or quite a lot of people who have domestic workers, are people who themselves either have a job or maybe they've got their own business, and maybe they've got an employee. And I, I think we don't often make the connection that we should providing our domestic workers with the same conditions, at least the, the same framework of conditions that we um, get at our own jobs. So, for example, um, we have a regular performance review, maybe once a year, once a quarter. And if nobody is ever giving us feedback on our work, it gets frustrating for us at the office. Mm. Or if our bosses are dismissive or if they don't communicate well, we gripe to our friends about it and it impacts our working life and it impacts our mood at the end of the day. Whereas very few people will sit down and have a performance review with their domestic worker and tell them a couple of days in advance, hey, let's meet on Wednesday if you have if there's anything you want to talk about or you want to change 
anything that's frustrating you, just come with it and we can have an open conversation. And very, very, very often there are domestic workers who have things they need to say to their boss, Mm. even when it feels like it's a good relationship. But there's a lot of dynamics there. There's power dynamics, there's different languages, there's different cultures, there's fear of losing jobs. And so they won't say anything until... It goes to the CCMA and the employer is like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And Amy, maybe here's my question just as a follow-up to that. How do I as an employer create the conditions where, you know, my employee feels that, you know, they can say that without fear of reprisals? Because I, I think you raised such a very important point that there's an uneven power dynamic here. Um, yeah. And if I say something you know, that might mean the end of my job. Um, and by nature, a lot of the people who undertake this type of work, you know, aren't doing it because, you know, they are bombarded with all manner of alternatives. Uh, so, so so, how do we navigate that particular one? Absolutely. And it's, it's formality that really comes into play here. Having a contract, you know, people think, oh, we have a great relationship. She's happy. I'm paying her nicely. We don't need a written contract. But all of a sudden... I can tell you from the experience of a lot of people that all of a sudden, three years in, something changes and you need to go from full-time to part-time or whatever it is, and there can be a lot of tension. And if you have a contract, um, it makes it much easier to take those steps. And it also gives the worker a lot of job security and comfort that these things are written down. She's not going to be told different things about how many leave days she had, the same things with payslips. And those things being in place and formality, have have a notebook where... Um, you write down things like requests for leave and um, any other requests, you know, I need a, whatever whatever the, the person may be asking for, um, because having things in writing makes a huge difference. Um, and all of these things may in themselves sound like small things, but when they add up, they create an environment where the worker feels like she's in a formal environment, she's being respected, um, and this idea of Setting, down, setting aside a time to talk, um, even if maybe you don't have anything major to say, but just giving the worker an opportunity once every quarter maybe and say, hey, let's just sit down for, for mm. 10 minutes, not as you're rushing out the door, but when there's time to sit um, because that opens the space sure, for her sure. to bring up anything that she wants to say. And it's, it's going to be a much more pleasant environment in mm. your home if she's able to express what, mm-hmm. her, what her frustrations are and those can be addressed. And if they get held within. Sure. Kelly, maybe just as we wrap up, uh, I guess there's, you know, the big elephant in the room. I mean, how do we make sure that there's an amicable end, you know, to the employer-employee relationship? Um, When, I guess, you know, that time might have come or when, you know, people need to move on. Um, How does that work? Um, And how do we make sure that, you know, employers really not just only follow the letter of the law, but do so in a fashion that recognizes the humanity and, of course, I guess, the, the importance of that employment relationship. You know, it's not just somebody working for you as a slave or just helping you out, uh, but it's an outcome of an industrial relationship in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like you say, you know, not all employment relationships are going to last forever. I think there are a variety of reasons that this relationship could end. So um, the domestic worker could retire um, they could move on to another job. The employer might uh, be experiencing financial difficulties or, or be moving and need to retrench their domestic worker. Um, but then there's also instances where um, the employer would need to dismiss their domestic worker maybe because they're failing to meet the standards of work that the employer is expecting or in cases of misconduct. 
Um, and like you say, there are laws that um, guide employers um, on what to do and what need to be taken um, should the situation be that they need to end this relationship. Um, I think when it comes to things like retrenchment, there's a lot of guidance on that. So, um, you know, a consultation needs to precede the announcement that, um, you know, I'm going to be retrenching you. Um, it's a consultation, you know, where an employer explains their situation, the reason why they're um, retrenching the, the domestic worker, finding p- possibly alternative um, whether they could recommend to, you know, the domestic worker to work for someone else or even, you know, something as um, something like the timing of the consultation is even important. So, you know, not waiting till the last minute, but if you know that you're moving in three months, giving your domestic worker the opportunity to arrange their own affairs to begin to look for other work during that period so that they're not, you know, left um, unemployed um, unnecessarily. Mm. Um, but when it comes to also things like dismissal, whether it's because of a misconduct or um, poor work performance, it has to be preceded by certain things. So this idea of having an inquiry in, in, in the case of work performance. So if you're not happy with what your domestic worker is doing, of course, before you even get to the stage where you're thinking of dismissal, I think Amy was touching on this, you know, there, there, there's opportunities to check in with your domestic worker. And, you, you know, employers should never feel that they, they, they need to leave things to the end. Like on a weekly basis, something like, you know, on a Friday morning, 15 minutes before you go to work, checking in and, and, and communicating your, mm. your needs or your requirements and allowing for your domestic worker to also ask questions or communicate their needs um, really can uh, assist the, this relationship and or prevent it from actually getting yeah. to the stage where you're, you're talking about a dismissal, which is, yeah, unnecessarily. Mm. Um, but anyway, so in the case of, you know, dismissal, an inquiry is, 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 provi- is, is required where, you know, a, a, the employer needs to provide reasons for, you know, why they're even considering um, uh, looking at their work performance, where they're failing, and, and actually provide guidance and say, mm. these are the steps that you need to take. Let's, sure. let's implement this. Um, and this is the time frame that we're going to be using to assess whether you're going to be improving. Mm. Um, so like in my job and in your job, Ayabonga, Ayabonga it, it'll take a, you know, it takes some time. There's a lot of effort put in to mm. improve work, work performance for a lot of employees. Yeah. And domestic workers definitely also are deserving of this process. And in the case of misconduct, of course, before you, know, you are thinking about um, dismissal, you think about this idea of a disciplinary procedure, which is not punitive. It's actually there to correct behavior. So you know, if your domestic worker arrives late consistently for a few weeks mm. or you know, for a few days, depending on um, how often they work for sure. a certain employer, you know, it's, it's about communicating this. So you're saying, you know, I'm going to give you a warning for, for this. Or if they... Um, you know, disappear for a longer time than they mm. had stated and, and they don't return to work. Yeah. Having a conversation, giving giving a warning and, and, and revisiting the employment contract to say, well, look, you know, this is family responsibility leave. You're entitled to mm. only five days of, you know, family responsibility leave. So it, it really is this conversation. And um, it's this idea that employers should be trying to guide their employees sure. to prevent getting to the stage um, where you're talking about dismissal. Okay. But should you get really? to that stage, of course. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, but we're going to have to pause there. Unfortunately, we, we have run out of time and, uh, you know, it's a fascinating topic. Uh, and I think uh, we might want to continue with this discussion out on social media. So maybe just a last comment there on your end and then uh, we'll have to wrap it up there. Sure. Yeah. 
And of course, I think when it just comes to just wrapping up this conversation about dismissal, that, you know, there are certain things like notice periods that have to be respected sure, by sure. employers. But I think overall, what, what Amy and I were, our intention was in, in creating this guide is that actually a lot of the time getting to the point of dismissal is, is mm. even unnecessary. There are several steps or things that can be implemented, like, you know, having those check-ins, those uh, performance evaluations sure. um, throughout, you know, the months as the months go into employment relationship, which will mean that this relationship is, yeah, becomes more, um, mm. yeah, beneficial to both parties and that something like dismissal is avoided. Okay. Amy yeah. and uh, Kelly, thank you very much uh, to the pair of you for your time and uh, yeah, for taking time out to speak to us this evening about this guide. Where can people get hold of the guide, just maybe as a last one? So um, you can download... You can download the guide at Seri's website, which is seri-sa.org, so S-E-R-I-S-A.org, mm. um, as well as an easy uh, website, which Amy will give now. Yeah, it's www.izwi.org.za. Awesome stuff. Uh, Amy and uh, Keely, thank you very much to the pair of you for your time. Really appreciate it. That there was uh, Amy Teki and uh, Keele Bukhile Khuno uh, from Izwi Domestic uh, Workers Alliance and Seri, respectively, uh, joining us for our Shop Stewards Corner. And we'll continue with that until uh, the end of this month uh, with our discussions on domestic workers. And next week, we talk about uh, immigration and domestic work.